it's probably somewhat disheartening. Maybe it's somewhat disheartening. It's very disheartening to me. It's probably somewhat disheartening to some of you, or maybe all of you also, that we seem to live in a country right now where the vast majority of the people in it aren't thankful and don't really realize what we have and somehow want to tear down what we, even what we do have, if you understand what I'm saying. It is, you know, Adam is miserable. You know, as I was praying earlier, <clears throat> Adam's still hiding, you know. Adam's still wearing fig leaves and hiding from God, ashamed and upset and angry, and now angry with each other, you know. And I hope, well, I can't say it that way, I desire that all of you are free. But if you're not free, if you're really not free, and the freedom that matters, we're going to talk about the freedom that matters this morning. If you're not free, you can be. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to the only one that can make you free. The only one that can make you free, but if he makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And we're going to see what free indeed looks like together this morning also. We're going to see, um, you know, I, I, will, I will say this. What drew me to Christ, well, what drew me to Christ, ultimately, I didn't understand it at that point, but what drew me to Christ were the fruits of the Spirit in his life. Not, not uh, some of them, all of them, and how he had them under the worst of circumstances. Under the greatest duress, Christ behaved himself compassionately, joyfully, lovingly. And that was remarkable to me. Uh, I had never really read my Bible. I'm not sure that most people in America read their Bible. I had a Bible. Almost everybody in America that's my age and older owns a Bible. Um, Again, for a long, long time, and it's probably still true, the Bible is by far, you know, just so far ahead of everything else. I don't know that anything else will ever be able to catch up to it. The most purchased book in the world, the most owned book in the world, and yet it's not the most read, um, and that's the thing. Uh, I hope you read your Bible. Um, I forget often, I forget when I'm talking to people, um, that the people that I'm talking to have a far more limited understanding of their Bible than they should. And I don't say that to be unkind. You hurt yourself by not knowing your Bible. You don't know your God because you don't know your Bible. You can't know your God if you don't know your Bible. Your warm, fuzzy thoughts about God and what God actually says are two completely different things. And I have uh, really, Lord has really worked in my heart in the last few years to understand, again, it's it's the goodness of God. It, it showed up in... Uh, what Russ read this morning, good. God is not just great. God is great. Um, I, I'm still fascinated by all things science, math, science. I love physics. I love math. I just, I just find them to be, well, they're logical. <laughs> um, but the more, I, the more I understand about the universe around me, both in a macro and in a micro way, the more I marvel at the power of God, the greatness of God. But I am far more interested now in the goodness of God than in the greatness of God. I've come to realize that the power of God, though it be remarkable, 
isn't even to be compared with his, with his person, with his nature, with the fact that he's good, with the fact that he is merciful. You know, John was teaching in Sunday school this morning. For those of you that were watching, Moab, <laughs> it's really funny. John said it well. Moab's opinion of Moab was far higher than it ought to be. And that's Adam right there. We think much higher of ourselves than we ought to think of ourselves. Moab basically says, are we not mighty? And as he pointed out, Syria said, who? You know what I'm saying? Who? Is that a city? No, that, no, that's not a city. That's a, that's a nation. Really? Where? You know what I'm saying? That's how the superpowers of the day thought of Moab. But it's not how Moab thought of Moab. And we are the same way in our own hearts. Adam, left to himself, thinks much higher of himself than he ought to and not highly of the God that gave himself for us. So it is my desire this morning that as we look, you know, I do want you to open in your Bible to 3 John for a moment. We're not going to stay there uh, today. Um, it has helped me a great deal. I suppose it's because Diotrephes appears to be the pastor of the church um, where Gaius used to be a member. Uh, I imagine that Gaius has been thrown out at this point where John is still going to go visit, although it appears that when John goes and visits, if he goes to visit Pastor Diotrephes, it's not going to be a very pleasant meeting because of him loving to have the preeminence. And we're going to look at that together this morning. Uh, yeah, but it's hard to look at it for an extended period of time without saying, all right, this is tragic, this is horrible, but how can this be avoided? And But not just as the pastor... How can we avoid this heart attitude? How can we be rescued from this heart attitude? And so let's look at it. We have to, in order to look at it, we have to begin by reading it. So I'm going to read verses 9 through 12, just verses 9 through 12. I say just verses 9 through 12, but when you see that there's only 14 verses, you realize what a large portion of this is, uh, is given to Diotrephes, and then for just a moment, Demetrius, which is in contrast to that. So let's look at this together. 9 through 12. The title, by the way, if you in your outline, this is verses 9 through 12, Lovers of Personal Preeminence. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, and he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. Father, help us as we take these few minutes given to us this morning. Lord, again, more and more I'm beginning to be aware that it isn't the amount of time. It's what we do with the time. And Lord, so we would uh, look away together now. We would look away. We would not um, waste our time focusing on that which is evil but we would instead turn our attention to the one that is really good, and that's you. You made it very clear, Lord Jesus, when you said, there's none good but God. 
and you, Lord Jesus, are God, and we would look at how good you are and what it is that you would help us to understand about really being set free. I believe it's clear to all of us that Diotrephes is not free. Uh, even if he's a new creature, and there's some doubt in the passage that he is a new creature, but even if he is a new creature, he's not free. And Lord, I ask you that you'd set every single person that's here and everyone that's listening alive right now, or anybody that will ever listen to this later, Lord, that you would set every one of us truly free, free from sin, that sin no longer would have dominion over us. You make it clear in Romans that it does not have dominion over us. And yet, so many of your children still are the servants of sin. Sin speaks and they listen. Lord, rescue us from that, that we would not hearken any longer unto the voice of self, but that we would instead hearken unto your voice, that we would stand by at the ready to hear what you would have us to do, and that we would be glad to do these things. Bless us, Father, that we not play church, that we not be religious, but that we be born again, the children of God. We thank you. We praise you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I had asked John to read Romans 8, verses 31 through 36. And so I'd like you to turn there now. I want to talk about freedom and liberty. I'm just going to look, we're just going to look at two passages. The first one is uh, back in John chapter 8. So if you'll turn there, it's funny because I actually had a ribbon there. And then I left the ribbon out of my Bible and turned away. So I have to turn back to it. <clears throat> John chapter 8, verse 31 the context, of course, matters. Jesus is speaking to religious authority. He's speaking to those that would go to, quote-unquote, church. Technically, they're going to synagogue or to the temple. But he's speaking to those that would call themselves um, believers in God. They would call themselves believers in God. And so that's who he's speaking to. And uh, what you'll notice in the context is uh, it says... It's verse 30, it says, and he spake these things. So if you go back in my Bible, my Bible's a red letter edition, which simply means that they put the words that Jesus himself spoke in red. Um, I remember when I got this thinking, does that mean that the rest of it's not as important as the red stuff? And uh, I've come to realize that it's all equally important. And, uh, but when you're a young person and you're reading, it's like, I guess the red stuff really matters. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is double God's word. But what you realize is it's all God's word. And, uh, but it does help uh, when you're looking backwards for something, uh, because just because of the natural highlighting, if you will, sometimes it'll help. So what you realize, if you look back, and what I'm saying is if you go back to the beginning of chapter 8, there are words that aren't read, and then suddenly Jesus starts teaching, and so there's a great deal of red words. So what it says in verse 30, And as he spoke these things, many believed on him. So while he was teaching, people started listening to him and saying, Hey, I think this guy's got something to hear. And then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him. Did you read what I just said? Listen. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So those who were listening, those who said that they had a sense that this might be the Christ, he said to those people. So understand who we're talking to here. We're not talking to Joe on the street who has no idea. We're talking to people who were already drawn to listen and they were now listening to him, and they were giving him their ear and saying, we want more of what you're saying to us. And he said to them, if you continue 
in my word. Then are ye my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Then answered, they answered him, We are Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever, maybe you want to put a box around this verse, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now what I want you to notice, I want to begin the first question that I'm just going to look at three questions concerning freedom and liberty. And it's the first question I have is who can make people free? Who can make people free? Who can set anybody free? And the answer is, according to this passage, um, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Right? Look at verse 36 with me. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Now, I want you to look up here, and I want you to consider this with me. Are you free? Are you actually free? If Jesus hasn't made you free, if the church made you free, or praying with your parents made you free, right? If a pastor made you free, you're not free. Only Jesus can make you free. Only Jesus can set you free. But Jesus can set everybody free. In Luke chapter 19, you don't have to turn there. I want you to stay here. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man is, to com- is, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So, Christ has come to look for you. Not you look for him, him look for you. Christ has come to seek, to find, and then when he finds, to save that which was lost. So he has come to set you free. He has come to seek, to find you, and to deliver you. That's why he's come. Why did Christ come? And the answer is, he came to set you free. He came to seek you out and to save you from you. You know, John made reference to this again this, this Sunday morning, uh, this morning in Sunday school. He made reference to the fact that, uh, that I make reference to that phrase a great deal, but that it really helps him every time I say it. You need to be free from you. You understand? You don't need to be free from the nonsense. There's plenty of nonsense. The nonsense is not your problem. You are your problem. I am my problem. We need to be set free from us. We need to be, Adam needs to be set free from Adam, and Christ alone is able to accomplish this. It's why he came. Those of us that are doing the study on Tuesday night, the Normal Christian Life Study, we are truly beginning to see uh, scripturally clearly together that God has made a full work of addressing Adam's need by coming to Adam and saying, I cannot fix you. You must die. And so you will die. But I can give you new life. I will make you a new creature. Talking to somebody about this yesterday, the day before yesterday, yesterday. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. Someone that goes to another good Bible-believing church here in the Hampton Roads area. We happened to be in the same place together. We had a long conversation. And we were talk- I was talking about the fact that I hope he was entering in. I hope he was entering in that he wasn't just a Christian going to church. That he was a new creature. Old things are what? They're dead. They're dead. That's what passed away means. They're dead, right? We say, oh, he passed away. We use that phrase when someone dies. Oh, they passed away. Yeah, they're dead, 
right? They, we put them in the ground. They're gone. They, they're dead. Their, their physical body has died. Well, praise God, your spiritual being, Adam, has been put to death, and you've been made a whole new creature. You are now something that you weren't before. And if you say, I don't understand that, what I would say is then read your Bible. Do you understand? God is not hiding this. Christians just don't know it. But Christians don't know the truth because they don't spend time in their Bible. And when they do spend time in their Bible, they do so that they can check off that they spent time in their Bible. If you spent time with other people like that, you'd not be a very good friend at all, right? It's like, well, I don't really, really, truly like to be around Wayne, but I hear it's supposed to be good for me to spend a certain amount of time every day with Wayne. So let's get that 15 minutes over with. Check. I spent my time with Wayne. Are you happy now? All right, so that's what she feels about you? Yeah. Well, we don't blame her, so that's all right. You know? the, uh, but what we do is we recognize that that would seem inappropriate in any other relationship. That's not what God wants for you. He wants you to want to open the Word of God. Because he wants you to want him. You know, I know, I, and I don't, please, please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. It isn't really about the book. It's about the author of the book. But the only way to know the author of the book is to open the book. The only way for you to draw nigh unto God is to open your Bible and to read it. And you say, well, I don't understand everything when I'm reading it. I don't understand everything when I'm reading it. I do understand a great deal more now than I ever did in my life. A great deal more. In fact, there are very few things that I find in my Bible to be confusing. And I don't say that to brag or to boast. What I've come to realize is because of the goodness of God, something Dr. Sells used to say a long, long time ago, and that is this. When you're reading the Word of God, don't focus on what you don't understand. Just focus on what you do understand. Because that's where God is meeting you. He, he has to meet you in your understanding. He has to meet you in your understanding. So open the Bible, read the Bible. What you understand Pay attention to that. What you, I used to waste a great deal of time about what the part that I didn't understand. I know all this stuff seems to be wonderful. What's this word right here? Why does this say this this way? And I would get all wrapped around the axle by that one little thing. And now what I've come to realize is I'll understand that. If I just keep saying yes to what I do understand, eventually I'll understand that when I need to understand that. And I will understand that. And then here's what's starting to happen. Now I'm starting to realize, oh, the key to that is way over here. And the key to that is way over here, and it's wonderful. But it has to do with how simple and how wonderful God is himself. In John chapter 14, verse 6, a phrase we're all aware of, I just want you to hear this. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we saw, we saw very clearly that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. But only the Son can set you free. But he also says in John, and you don't, again, you don't turn there because I'm telling you this, but in John chapter 6, verse 37, it says, and him that cometh to me, I will in. It's such a help to me. Is the, listen, is the gospel exclusive? And the answer is yes. There's only one way. It's only one way. Only one person can set you free. There's only one way that you can have a relationship with God the Father. Only one way. And the Lord Jesus Christ is that way. But it is also inclusive because everyone can come that way. Isn't that wonderful? There's only one way, but there only needs to be one way because that one way will let anyone that wants to come, come that way. Isn't that wonderful? 
You say, well, what about this group of people or that group of people? And the answer is Jesus loves that group of people. Every group of people that you could possibly name, no matter what they've done, no matter what they're doing today, Jesus loves that group of people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should what? Not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ came that we might have life. In fact, he says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's real liberty. That's real freedom. Christ has come to set us free. Brother Russ and I were talking about this. He got a little bit of a preview of something that's, some of the sermon that's getting ready to come. More and more and more, I'm beginning to understand this. If you're really free, you're going to not be selfish. If you're selfish, you're not free. If you're selfish at all, you're not free. When you're free, it won't be about you anymore. When you're really free, it'll be about him first and everybody else after that. The, there used to be a phrase when I was a young Christian, somebody said it, it's called joy. Jesus, others, yourself. And I thought, mm, Joe, I think Joe was really where we're going. In other words, Jesus, others, period, right? Well, here's why I say that. Was Jesus concerned about himself? And the answer is no. It was about his love for the Father and his love for everybody else, right? Why? And here's why. Let me, sh let me share with you the real point of freedom. When you understand how much God loves you, when you understand how good God is, you won't need anything else. It doesn't need to be about you anymore because I've got God. More importantly, God has got me. You understand? And so my desire is that he would be glorified. Why? Because he has been good, so good to me. I have been blessed. I can't even tell you how blessed I've been. Then why are you whining? Right? Stop whining and start counting those blessings. But really, more and more and more, the other day uh, I was counseling someone, and I said, it's not about you not doing that anymore. That's not what it's about. That's not what God is trying to accomplish. God is not trying to get you to stop doing that. God is trying to get you to have such a wonderful relationship with him that that will not even matter to you anymore. That would be exactly what it is that you would see it as it actually is. That's a waste of time. That's whatever that is, that's a waste of time. Any sin in your life that could possibly draw you, you would look at it and say, well, that's not Jesus. Why do I want that? That's nothing like my Lord. That's nothing like the one that has given me all of these things. But again, it's not even about the things. At some point, God wants you to be so wonderfully free that it'll stop being about what he can give you and it'll start just being about him himself. And again, that's the lesson of the certain father that had two sons, right? The certain father that had two sons, both of the sons are in trouble. Both of them. The one that runs away with the stuff and the one that just wants the stuff. It's not about the stuff. It's about our relationship with the father. That's why Jesus had such a tremendous peace all the time. When, when, when did he not have peace? When was he troubled even unto death? When? And it's when that relationship was about to be broken. The only thing that concerned Jesus ever was the father turning his back on him. 
knowing that he that knew no sin, the Lord Jesus himself, would become sin, when he knew he would become sin, and as the day got closer, and he realized, I am now going to take on the sin of the whole world. And when I do, my father's going to reject me. And he has no idea what that feels like. And he doesn't want to know what that feels like. That's the whole, and that's when he's sweating drops of blood. Now, I do not understand. I've read, and probably some of you have, I've read uh, and, and watched even uh, documentaries on what it, would, what it takes to sweat blood, what kind of anxiety you have to be going through to actually sweat blood, you know, actually not bleed, but sweat your blood. You have to so break down that, the, uh, that, your, your, that your blood vessels have to literally start bursting inside you and literally just come out your pores. He did that. But when did he do that? Not when they were going to whip him. Not when they were going to insult him. Not when they were going to pull out his beard. That's not the problem. It's the relationship with his father is going to be lost. And why is that going to happen for me? For me. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I deserve to say that. You deserve to say that. Jesus does not deserve to say that. But he does say it. Why does he say it? Because you couldn't take it. Because you couldn't bear it. If you had to say it, you would never get rescued from it. It would never be over. But praise God, he could endure the wrath of God on our behalf. And God put him through that because of his love for us. But he was so at peace with his relationship with the Father, he could love everybody around him without having to be concerned about whether they loved him back or not. Do you understand that kind of freedom? Do you know that kind of freedom? Can you love people around you who do not even like you? And the answer is no. Adam cannot do that. But praise God, God can. So how can people be made free? How are people made free? Well, it's also in the passage that we're looking at in John chapter 8, verse 31. Look at that with me, if you would. Then Jesus said unto those Jews which believed on him, if you continue, underline that, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, now, I want you to draw a line, my word, the truth. My word, the truth. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What, listen, what's going to, here's, here's a marvelous thing. Boy, I love this so much. You do not have to sneak in the back door. Amen? Nobody's sneaking in the back door. God is not going to say to anybody, mm, you can't really come in, but it's okay, I'll sneak you in the back door. No, no, right through the front door. Right through the front door. Isn't that wonderful? Come, says the woman at the well. Meet a man that knows everything about me, and he still loves me, and he still forgives me. I deserve to go in because he made me worthy of going in. He says, if you just, and how can you do that? Underline it. Continue in my word. Just open your Bible. Open your Bible, and if you open your Bible, you'll know the truth. And if you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. There is no, you know, Don and I were talking about this on Friday. I said more and more and more are beginning to understand how love and truth go together. And I believe they're seen together in 1 John. I'm starting to understand the whole point of the fact that in him there is no darkness at all. In God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we have love and truth so perfectly wonderful together that it's light. And there's no darkness, no shadow 
of turning, if you understand what I'm saying. You and I are flawed. We recognize, even as new creatures, we have not arrived, right? We, we recognize that. Even though I know that I'm completely and totally forgiven and that I am a new creature, I'm still not what I'm going to be. And praise God that, that this is not it. Can you, honestly, can you imagine living in eternity for all of eternity with just the earnest that we have now? And the answer is no, no. I wouldn't want to do that right? I would not want to be like this for eternity. I'm thankful that I'm forgiven, but I want the absence of sin, right? None. I want there to be no sin at all. I want there to be no bad thoughts. I want there to be no frustration, no anger, nothing. I simply want to be like Jesus. And I do not want to do it to brag or boast. I simply want to be set completely free for all of eternity. And here's what the, and he says, just let me do it. Let me do it. The truth shall make you free. The last thing I want to look at together today, and it's a few verses, it's a few passages. There's actually uh, one place specifically. I want to remind you of a couple of things before we go there. So how can, how can people continue to remain free? We've seen who can make you free, Christ. How can you be free, the truth? And then finally, how can those that are free remain free? Well, I want to remind you of two things that I think are really important before we go and look at this. First of all, Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. How will you remain free? Well, Jesus will never leave you. Okay? He will never leave you. Hebrews chapter 12, so that's Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. Anybody ever not finish a project? I have two. I have, it's, then you find it, and you, and you look at it, and you're like, man, what was wrong with me? Why didn't I finish this? Right? I have not finished things. I've heard it said many, many times, it's not how you start, but how you finish. Well, guess what? You know how I'm going to finish? Now, listen, listen. I'm going to finish just like I started. You want to know why? Because the author, the one that started it, is the Lord Jesus. So guess who has to finish it? He does. Yes? Who's responsible for my salvation? I'm not. If you're responsible for your salvation, you're in trouble. You better hope Jesus is responsible for your salvation. But if Jesus is responsible for your salvation because he's the author of that salvation, then guess what? He's also the finisher of that salvation. And guess how confident you can be now? I'm pretty confident. It's all good. How do I know it's all good? Because Jesus never fails. Amen? Jesus never fails. He is the author and finisher of my faith the author and finisher of my day. I didn't save me. I can't keep me. I can't get me into heaven. Jesus has to do every bit of it. From beginning to end, it's all the Lord Jesus Christ. So you say, how can people continue to remain free? And, and the very foundation of that is, one, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Two, he which hath begun a good work. Whoops, that's actually the third verse. Uh, and that's, well, let's just go there. It's Philippians chapter one, verse six. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Again, um, I know I, I, I often use crown molding. If you go around the church, the crown molding in here is good. I don't think it's split anywhere as far as I can see. If you go throughout the hallway, there are places where the crown molding is split. And what that means is that the, the heating and cooling of the wood over time has caused it to separate. And if I understand correctly from Glenn, who understands correctly, uh, if they had done it perfectly correctly the first time, it, that would not have happened. It would have been joined in such a way that it wouldn't have been able to separate. Same thing's true, by the way, of the chair rail, right? That's what they called chair rail, Glenn, along the wall. It's also separate. You guys will see it. You walk up and down the hallways, you'll see that. And I said to Glenn, can we fix that? 
And his answer is, yes, we can fix that. Take it all down and put it all back up again. It's pretty significant. So, so, does it matter who the workman is? Right? This is something I want you to understand. You say, God is taking too much time in this, in my life. Oh, no, no, no. He's taking the right amount of time to do this in your life. He's not in a hurry. When it's done, it'll be done right. Anybody, you know, this, I mean, all of us in the Navy have heard this phrase. We don't have time to do it right, but we do have time to do it over. It's such a stupid thing. But I'll tell you, I can't tell you how much money I saw get spent because we didn't have time to do it right the first time. But eventually somebody would come and say, well, this is not right. It's like, yeah, we, we, yeah, yeah, I said that. I said that when we were doing it. It's like, well, do that over again. It's like, you do it over again. Or actually, go get the guy who told us to not do it right the first time and make him do it over again. You understand? Here's the good news. God doesn't have to do it over again. Amen? And by the way, let me tell you something. He would probably get done quicker in your life, in whatever you need him to do in your life, if you'd stop touching it. Amen? Anybody ever work with that person? Here, let me help. Please stop. I'm begging you. Stop helping me. Right? Oh, I seem to snap this one off. You ever, I mean, <laughs> oh, you snapped that bolt off? Oh, that won't change anything at all, other than the next eight hours we'll be taking that out now. You know what I'm saying? And then we have to put one back in. It's amazing how hard things can be when those that don't know what they're doing are involved in doing it. Don't try to make yourself a good Christian. Let God make you a good Christian. You don't know what you're doing. He does know what he's doing. Remember, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. How do people remain free? Jesus keeps us free. But let's look at the practical understanding of it. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 with me now. This will be the last place I ask you to turn in your Bible. We'll be done for this morning uh, right here. Galatians chapter 5. Go to Galatians chapter 5. We often go to Galatians chapter 5 to focus on specific verses which I believe are critical in our understanding of what it means to walk after the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. But I want to go back all the way to the beginning of chapter 5 this morning. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 5. It says this in chapter 5, talking about remaining free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of what? Bondage. Now listen to me. I do not understand. I, I, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm probably, there's some people who are going to hear me say this. It's, it's probably why Tidewell will never be a big church. I guess that's what I'm getting ready to say. There are people that are worried about freedoms that are not the freedoms that God wants you to worry about. Okay? There are people who are panicked about freedoms in the United States of America that have nothing to do with the freedom that Christ came to give you. And we need to understand that. If America completely falls apart in the next election, if you will, if you're free, you'll still be free. When they come and arrest me, I'll still be free. When they publicly embarrass me, put me in jail, I'll still be free. Because they can't take my freedom away. I, let me ask you, was the jailer free 
or were Paul and Silas free? Who was free? Right? Paul and Silas were free. Who was beaten and behind bars? Paul and Silas. The world does not understand this freedom. But I'm afraid that most Christians don't understand this freedom. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. We're talking about being free. Now, now that word free is, gives us the word liberty, right? The liberty that we have, we have because Christ made us free. We already looked at who can make you free, right? And how does he make you free? Jesus makes you free. How does he make you free? The truth. Now, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath, so it's already done, made us free. So now stand fast in the liberty that he has made you free. Or, or you could be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What's the yoke of bondage? Well, what was the yoke of bondage in the passage that Jesus was speaking? What was the bondage? Sin. Sin, what was it? Yes or no? Let's go. I got it here. It's in my notes. Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. That's the bondage. Sin is the bondage. Sin is the bondage. Listen, listen. And and I know I'm getting ready to say something on on the 5th of July of all days. I'm getting ready to say something that's going to make some people unhappy. And I'm sorry. But the liberties that our founding fathers gave us, though they are precious, they are not this precious. Do you understand? England could have won the war, and the Christians in America would have still been free. They would have been traitors. They would have been guilty of treason. They would have probably died, but they still would have been free. And they would have gone to the be with the Lord Jesus. Those that are not free in Christ are not free anyway. Yes or no? We do not understand this. We really don't. You guys are too quiet about this. Do you understand that freedom is only in Christ? Real freedom is only in Christ. That's it, period. All the other freedoms are just man-made freedoms, and those can be taken away from you. But if the, if the Son shall make you free, in the world you shall have, but be of good cheer. How can I be of good cheer when in the world? He says, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? What does he say right after that? I have overcome the world. This is not it. Do you understand? This is not it. I'm here on a rescue mission. You're here on a rescue mission. This time that you have right now, we're here to tell people you can be rescued. You can be rescued from you. You can spend all of eternity with Jesus. Well, I'm too busy fighting the the current political nonsense that's going on. Well, stop wasting your time then and be set free and have real freedom. By the way, Galatians is going to show us both bondage and freedom. Stand fast with the liberty therewith with Christ that made you free. Now go to verse 13. Verse 13. In my Bible, it's right across, it's right next to verse 1. 5.13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the what? Flesh. But by love serve one another. Huh. Demetrius didn't, I mean, excuse me, Diotrephes didn't get this, did he? Di- Listen, Diotrephes was using his freedom. If he was free at all, Diotrephes was using his freedom for his flesh. He loved to have the what? 
He shouldn't even worry about prominence, but he loved to have the preeminence. Among everybody, he was the dude. He was the guy. His word mattered. This is how much it mattered. You're gone. You're gone, right? It's like, well, you know, um, I heard this, just this missionary David Gates is coming through. We should have him in and, and, and feed him and take care of him and help him along the way. You're gone. I'll tell you who's coming in. I'll tell you what's going on. Do you understand? That's not a pastor. That's a little mini ruler, right? We already got that problem ourselves. We don't need somebody else doing it for us. So what's wrong with Diotrephes? And the answer is he's not free. But let me ask you this question. In light of what we see, listen, I'm going to read again. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. In other words, don't say, I can do what I want because I'm free. When you say, I can do what I want because I'm free, you're not free. And you're making it clear you're not free. You know, I know you're not free because you're doing what you want. You say, well, who would I, what would I do if I was free? And you do what Jesus wants, right? Because that changes everything. And here's what he says. In other words, use your freedom, your liberty, as an opportunity to, in love, by love, serve what? One another. So listen, I'm going to stop here because this happens to be where my notes end. Who's free? And the answer is those that are not selfish, but are in love serving others. So who's free? Jesus is free. Very clear. Jesus is free. Yes? Jesus is free. Are you? It, listen, listen. I'm not asking you what you think. What if I asked everybody else? Are you free? Are you selfish? Or are you free? Do you understand what real freedom is? And here's the good news. If you're here this morning, you know, it's funny, because this is the perfect time for a quote-unquote altar call. But I don't know, I'm just, I'm just not convinced, I don't see a lot of altar calls in the Bible. And that's why we don't do an awful lot of altar calls. But I do believe this is, does call for a response in your heart. Are you free or are you selfish? And if you're selfish, are you willing to acknowledge, I'm not free? Now, you might be a new creature, but you're not free like you're supposed to be, right? Because he doesn't say, he says, my brethren, right? Verse 13, for brethren. You have not been called under, you have been called under liberty. In other words, they are free. Jesus Christ has set them free. But in their freedom, they have lost track of what that freedom meant. And that freedom does not mean I get to do what I want. That freedom means I get to serve everybody. You say, that doesn't sound like freedom. That's because you don't understand freedom. Right? Was Amy Carmichael free? Was Hudson Taylor free? Why do we admire them? Why do we admire them? And the answer is, we admire them because they were free. Now, keep going, because this, this chapter has in it both the works of the flesh, right? The flesh lusts and all that it does. And then we get down towards verse 22, and we see the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, those that are free, listen to me, and we're done. Those that are free have in their lives love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's a, that's what, those, are, those are people that are free. Now, it's time to be done, and I hope, I hope, I hope to have provoked you, perhaps, encouraged you. I hope I've encouraged you. If you're not a new creature, you can't have these things. But if you are a new creature, then you do have these things. So be free. Be really free. But understand what real freedom is. And again, real freedom comes because you are 
in Christ. Everything we have is in Christ. Everything that you need is in Christ. And he has called you to be free. But he says, let me give you the power of the Spirit in your life so that you don't feel like you have to do anything for yourself anymore. And you'll recognize that in love, I am now free to serve others. And I'm telling you, not a popular message in American Christianity. Not a popular message. It, it is why I do really truly do not believe that Tidewater will ever be able to grow beyond a certain point because I really do not believe that most people in America want to go to church and be told to stop being selfish and to start loving others. But it's all we got. It's all we got. It's who Jesus is, right? I'm so glad that Jesus is that way. Are, are you not really truly glad that that's the way Jesus is? I mean, aren't you glad that he never, ever, 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 ever did anything selfish? Never. You know when he was, you know when he should have done something selfish? The day that he died on the cross for us. He should have just said, you know what? We can make new ones. We don't really need these guys, right? We've been together for eternity. We were just fine. They've only been here for, at that point, it's 4,000 years. They've only been here for 4,000 years. Let's just start over. But he didn't. He suffered the wrath of God to set you and me free. Why would we be selfish? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you that you purchased, literally purchased our freedom with your blood. And Lord, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We are free, but we are free to do what you'd have us to do. And I'm thankful for that. Lord, bless us that we'd enter into this, understand this, not just be okay with it, rejoice in it, that it would be the reason we sing, that we would sing because of who you are. Again, I love, I love that, that line in that song. He's not just my song. He's the reason I sing. I have nothing else to sing about than Jesus. He gives my life meaning and joy. Lord, may that be the heart attitude of all of your children. Thank you. Lord, on this, on this weekend, when the 4th of July is shrouded, quote-unquote, in this darkness that America is currently going through, that we can understand that we do not have to walk in darkness. We can walk in the light. We can be truly, truly free, and free to love our enemies, free to love all of those around us that would even want to hurt us, free because, Lord Jesus, you make us free. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. 